I'm recording. Me too. All right, here comes your countdown, Alex. It goes 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, liftoff. And here is your introduction. On November 6th, 1946, all the brothels in France were officially closed after having been given after having been given 6 months notice that their business establishments were being outlawed. Prostitution was still legal, although active solicitation of services had been outlawed as well. Even in this diminished state, with sex workers only able to passively solicit themselves by wearing revealing clothing and loitering in areas already known for prostitution, this group of workers was inadvertently responsible for the creation of one of the 500 songs that shaped rock and roll. A group of Parisian sex workers made this song come to light by unwittingly aiding the police. Stuart Copeland, Andy Summers, and Sting were living in a hotel in one of the seedier parts of Paris while playing regular shows at a local joint, the Nashville Club, in 1977. The band was hurting at the time as their first and only single, released the previous year through an independent label, had flopped. The band needed a win, and the hotel was able to help them get that win through two major sources of inspiration in the form of the sex workers that occupied the area and a poster in the foyer for the classic play Cyrano de Bergerac. Quote, those two conflicting ideas of this beautiful name and this very, very elegant courtly romance and what was going on in the hotel just lit a torch under me. I went to my room, picked up the guitar, and imagined this woman into life, said Sting. Sting took the song to guitarist Andy Summers and then to drummer Stuart Copeland, and together the band hashed out the track in a North London basement. The final piece was slow, quiet, and melodic, a departure from the rest of the album, which had a distinctly more punk edge. This wouldn't have been a problem if not for the fact that Stuart's brother, Miles Copeland, wanted to hear the whole album. Quote, I didn't think much more about it until we played the album to Miles Copeland, who is, of course, Stuart's brother, and a bit of an entrepreneur, though he'd never been particularly interested in the police. In fact, he'd kept away from it, to say the least. He did come along to the sessions while we were putting together the first album, but more or less just to offer brotherly advice to Stuart. He heard the album and quite liked it. When we got to this song, we were a bit embarrassed because the song was a bit of an anachronism, said Sting. Another quote. Miles Copeland came down to hear us, and we were kind of embarrassed to play it for him, because Miles had blinders on and was into Fast and Furious Punk. But much to his credit, he said, This is great! A knockout! I was really surprised. And he took it to A&M and got a contract for one single. I don't think it ever broke the top 40 in America, but eventually it became the police signature tune, said Summers. The single was released in the UK in 1978 with A&M, but failed to chart, perhaps due in part to the BBC's refusal to play a song about a sex worker. Despite this, an American release was okayed and gave the song some exposure, allowing it to slowly climb to the number 32 spot on the Billboard chart. Luckily, this was just enough success to justify a re-release in the UK in 1979, where the song would reach number 12. The song has certainly made its mark from there, appearing in everything from greatest rock and roll song lists to renditions in movies including 48 Hours and Moulin Rouge, and TV shows like Friends, CSI, Raising Hope, Two and a Half Men, The Office, and Community. That's right, we're talking Roxanne by the police on Lover Me. That's right, it's Lover Me, the only podcast that compares famous love songs to their many cover versions to find out which one. Let's try it again. That's right, it's Lover Me, the only podcast that compares famous love songs to their many cover versions to find out which one wouldn't talk down to you. I'm your host, as always, The Snake, joined by my streetwalking co-host, Alex Mildenberger. What's going on? Life's happening. Oh. 
A winter wave. I, I said a winter wave. <laughs> Things are good. Things are good. Yeah, I think we're I think we're getting hit by a wave of winter here. I just came back, you know, from plus 40 weather. So yeah, so like everything's cold to me. My body's confused. Um I often on my breaks I go to a local park that's like a five minute walk from my office. And just the the sheer array of like different layers you'll see people wearing. Everything from shorts and a t-shirt to me, who I'm like three layers deep, <laughs> like winter jacket, buttoned up, toque, mitts. It's, it's quite a sight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're like, oh my goodness. Yeah, you're just like, oh my goodness. It does, it takes the body like time to adjust. And I think the most unfortunate thing, I think, and it's just part of not living in Calgary anymore, is I no longer have any memory of like minus 30 weather. My body has forgotten that. So even though my brain remembers and like I can logically say like, well, it's, you know, it's five degrees out here or whatever. It's not cold. My body doesn't understand that anymore. Yeah. It's just like, no, dude, we're, we're fucking dying. I'm like, we have done worse than this. <laughs> We've been through so much worse wearing the same amount of layers. And it's, it's just, there's no fighting it. Yeah. It's like, let's hop on the plane. Then hop on another plane, and then yes, hop on a third plane to get to Bali. <laughs> and honestly, baby, I'm willing. But we're not here to talk about that. We're talking about a place that's only two plane rides away from me, Paris. And more importantly, Roxanne, the song inspired by that place and the workers there. Alex, the police. Um, first question about the police, Alex. Does A Cab apply here? <laughs> Yeah, and they consider themselves, there's a quote from Stuart Copeland, he says, we were a punk band officially. Punk? Yeah, I can see that. Because, yeah, it was still, like, New Wave was, you know, and because it was a new wave of, like, it was pushing away a lot of the pop like understanding of music, both in terms of musicality and like topics and things of that nature. So like it was punk in that sense. It wasn't just, it just wasn't distorted guitars and like denim vests necessarily. So. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I can see those being like two sides of the same coin, at least to an extent, like they're from that same, like kind of theology, same background, that same ideal in some ways. But uh, yeah, the police dog. Uh, new wave. You big police fan? You big police head? Yeah, with a, with our good friend Jesse Crossley. Shout out to Jesse. 
yeah, this is the debut album of The Police. And yeah, so to get back to their name, it is also like doubly funny that because sometimes after Sting has a solo career, there are best of albums where it's like best of Sting and The Police, which I think leads some people to think that, that that's the name. But a sting is also like a police operation, so that is kind of funny that <laughs> that even like separated, they're still weirdly cop coded. Mm hmm. Okay. Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah, look at that. They, I've seen it happen for some albums on title. It's usually not quite like this. Sometimes it'll just be like a, like a shine effect that starts from like the top left corner and works diagonally down to the right. It is distracting. Mm-hmm course yeah oh yeah fun times a song i later learned to play on bass because i was like well you gotta play the police on the bass yeah police to me was a big teenage band um also a big later smoking weed to band partially i think due to their their like reggae roots and intonations <laughs> Yeah, you don't know it because it's one of those things where like, this is classic rock. And you're like, okay, this is rock and roll. And then you listen to it later when you have a little bit more understanding of music. You're like, like even Sting's vocals, he puts on, like, not, it's not a patois technically, but it is like if a white person were to have a patois, it would, this is what it would be. Yeah. That exactly. Cause like even on this, he he has that quality. It kind of it permeates all the work. It's such a strange feature. Um, but I also feel like, and this is not to to denigrate the band, but they feel like the equivalent of YA novels. Their music. It's like kind of edgy like it's a little more mature than like a a bubblegum pop song but there is also something kind of just like not that deep about them mm -hmm. don't stand so close to me Yeah, there's heightened melodrama to it, and it's not in the same sense as, like, pop punk or something, where it feels like it is coming from, like, a, a, a high schooler or, like, somebody who's in that awkward phase. It feels like it's crafted by somebody a little older, um, like Sting. And and what's the other one? Uh, can't Stand Losing You. The height of melodrama and, like, teenaged angst. Mm hmm. I can't stand losing you. Actually, yeah, I can't stand losing you. Sounds pretty close to Roxanne. Maybe. 
except for like this one can't stand losing you next to you, which is more punky, a little more straightforward. Yeah. And then, because, yeah, you've got this one. you got Roxanne and um, Don't Stand So Close to Me, which are, like, both kind of, like, ooh, twisted love songs. It's This guy loves a, a sex worker. This guy is having an affair with a student. Um, and that's I am talking shit. I think they're done pretty well, though. The same way I... I yeah, it's almost... Because you're big. You're like Paul Simon. And Sting and Paul Simon, I think, have some similar uh, trajectories. Being that they both get into to world music. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Although that is also true. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, Paul Simon is much uh, much softer, a little more vulnerable, I guess, in that approach. There's still something there, and like the same way I would still consider a YA author an author, I still consider, like, and like possibly a stronger. I still see the police and like Sting's work as being good. I, like even this song this week, I think is is very good, and even like even the way it's written, it's. He's, he works with unreliable narrators, I think, a lot in songs like this, in songs like Can't Stand Losing You. We get a sense of the narrator and the fact that they're maybe not, like, all okay up there. Um, With that said, let's talk about Roxanne, your connection to this. This song feels like it was always around forever, and it feels like a pillar of rock and roll. Yeah, mine as well. Yeah, probably like reestablished it because I guarantee you would have heard it on like classic rock radio and then Moulin Rouge. Yeah, 100%. And then this kind of just like puts it back in the limelight for a bit. Uh, but let's talk about these lyrics, Alex. Let's talk. Let's talk about what's going on in this song. Um, it begins. It's very simple. It, it gives you the premise right at the start. Ugh, right at the start. Uh, Roxanne, you don't have to put on the red light. Those days are over. You don't have to sell your body to the night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's and that's what I think makes like this narrator sort of unreliable, sort of interesting, is that as much as he is putting out this sort of what seems to the the average listener, like, oh yeah, well he's here now. You don't have to put on the red light. We know nothing about this guy. We don't know if he makes money or not. We just know that he kind of doesn't want her to do this, and that really solidifies in verse two when he's like, I know my mind is made up. So it's like he in he seems like he's uh, quite a like a, a good noble character at first, but then he's like, listen, this is my mind's made up, so this is the way it's got to be. He's not exactly the most understanding lover, even if indeed he is a lover, because we don't actually know if they're even in a relationship. 
Mm-hmm. That would be the most likely encounter, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes it's it's the plot of the hit movie Pretty Woman. A cl classic Disney film, Pretty Woman. <laughs> um, yeah, but it gives you the premise right away. Uh, we know this woman, Roxanne, she's a sex worker, uh, and the narrator we know doesn't want her to do sex work anymore. Boom. Done. Roxanne, you don't have to wear that dress tonight. Walk the streets for money. You don't care if it's wrong or if it's right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because if it wasn't, if it was right, he wouldn't bring that up, right? Or if he thought it was right. Yeah, that's what do you, yeah, what do you know about this, her line of work? And, Yeah, that's how I would open this plea. I'd be like, listen, it's it's fucking rough out there. And I know you've made it this far, but maybe if I'm here, we can look at other options. But no, he's just straight up like, listen, you're doing this job. And you don't even care about the moral consequences. Which to some extent suggests that she in this in this conversation wants to continue doing her work. Maybe she likes it. There's nothing wrong with that. Perhaps. Uh, Pre-chorus is more of just the, the first line of the song. Roxanne, you don't have to put on the red light. Roxanne, you don't have to put on the red light. The chorus is just that repeated. <laughs> yeah. The red light district. Mm-hmm. This was how, I, and I guess possibly part of this passive solicitation was that you would just put in red lights so people would know that this was the place to get sex. Um, It could be. France has a very strong, I, I, I read a Wikipedia article and I was like, oh, there's a pretty strong history in France of sex workers. I think it comes from kind of brothel culture in general. Maybe stemmed from France. It's definitely European in nature. Red light district. And that's what he means by put on the red light. Because some people might be confused. Like, well, the red light means stop in terms of traffic. I certainly wouldn't have. Right, you don't have to stop. Yeah. Yeah, so that you're like, yeah, tell tell Roxanne she's got to do that anymore. I don't know what it is, but <laughs> he feels very strongly about it. 
Um, and actually leads to this quote I have where he says, I felt, I felt very strongly about Roxanne because that was a serious song about a real relationship. There was no talk about fucking in it. It wasn't a smutty song in any sense of the word. It was a real song with a real felt lyric and they wouldn't play it. He's referring to the BBC here on the grounds that it was about a prostitute, but write a silly song about fucking that hasn't got the word fucking in it. And you've got a hit gets a bit depressing said sting. Oh, yeah. That's right. Because she's our president now. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to see how the trends change. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, just in an online poll. It was no effect on the actual election, but I put in my vote. I did my part. I'm doing my part. Uh, the pre-chorus and the chorus, though, really are for the more for the music than for the lyricism. Because they... We'll get to that. Uh, verse 2, though. I loved you since I knew you. I wouldn't talk down to you. I have to tell you just how I feel. I won't share you with another boy. Um, so this is where you might imply, depending on how you want to take knew you, that he's loved her since the first time he bought her services. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is, yeah, this is your edgy pop song. This is the YA pop song. Yeah. It feels a bit like he is. Yeah. And because there is theory, like there's some theoretically healthy things in here. I think if they are actively engaging a relationship, him being like, I don't want to share you with other people is technically a fine, like a uh, stance to have. But then to be like, well, my mind's made up, put away your makeup, told you once, I won't tell you again. It's a bad way. It kind of. Right. He really, yeah, he lays out that it is wrong. Uh, but yeah, so he kind of pretends to be like caring, understanding, looking out for her best interests. But in doing that, he does what he says he's not doing, which is talking down to her. Yeah. Put away your makeup. Told you once. I won't tell you again is something you hear from your parents. Like, <laughs> so we get, we really get a sense of him. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. That's right. That is because he says it twice in the first verse. Yeah, like calling her attention. You're like, Roxanne, listen, I want to talk about this. And then this is like the kind of like he's grabbing her by the shoulders, talking down to her. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Yeah. There is like a yeah, there is like an un unhinged vibe to him where he's like, I saw you're the most beautiful woman I I've maybe never seen a sex worker before or seen a woman in enough makeup. I don't know. It's just like I'm crazy about you. You don't have to do this. We can do whatever it is I do for like like he's just yeah, he's a bit caught up in whatever romance is in his head, perhaps. And then maybe this context maybe this conversation contextualizes the courses where he's like he's told her this. And it maybe to serve as a conclusion, she then walks out. And so the rest is him just screaming. Yeah. After being like, you don't have to do this. Come back. Like, it's like <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The course is him just, yeah. stating his thesis again. You don't have to do this. You don't have to do this. Um, which implies that she is doing it regardless of those pleas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she really doesn't have a voice in this, what is theoretically a, a two-person conversation. I like yeah pretty tight like it, it's got all the elements you need to get the story you don't really need a conclusion like if this wasn't I mean you could use this in like a high school or a junior high like language arts slash English class it's got all the elements you need it's better than that fucking story about a kid getting stabbed in the alleyway like you know that's for you royal <laughs> <laughs> I think I think in terms of like story elements you get bleeding yeah you are correct um shout out to that story I only know that that story is still being taught because uh my sister once had to teach that story in class she's like we had to teach this dumb story on the sidewalk bleeding I was like oh yeah that's for you Royal. like <laughs> I know that one <laughs> Yeah, I think this could. I think you could use this in an English class, and it would be like a, one a way to kind of be like, hey kids, here's something a little edgy, and also like a way to teach English and like poetry and shit. So that's things to read into. It's not too complex. It's it's YA baby. Yeah, not bad. And what does it sound like? Interestingly, it's supposed to be Bossa Nova. Originally, it was supposed to be Bossa Nova, which means new wave. And then Stuart Copeland kind of gets his hands on it and throws a tango beat on it. And then to our ears, when we were children, it sounded like rock and roll. But in actuality, it's, it's more of like a reggae beat behind it is what it ends up translating to. Mm-hmm. Particularly from that guitar, yeah. Right. Yeah. Bam, 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 bam. Yeah, just put it there instead of there. That's what's happening. And then we get two elements that 
I thought were met, were put in just to kind of like give us some sinister energy. It turns out to just be a happy, silly mistake in the studio. I'm um, talking talking about the butt piano. Yeah, apparently in the liner notes. Um, does it appear on title? Okay, that would be so funny if they kept it in there. I'm hanging on. I'm, I'm hanging on. I was just looking at the credits here. I was like, hang on a minute. It's crediting vocals to some guy named Gordon Summer. <laughs> it's, it's stink. Yeah, no, they're, they're not there. But uh, apparently on the original album, on the vinyl, I see the, the liner notes, but piano. Sting sat on a, on a piano that was in the studio that he thought was like closed, like the, the keys weren't exposed. And then you get that, and then he laughs. He goes, ha, 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 ha. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a little far away, too. <laughs> yeah, it really sets the mood. It's bizarre because it is this weird accident that didn't have those intentions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I never really, I noticed the laugh. I never really noticed the butt piano chord. <laughs> yeah. Sting is not a man who giggles. Um, so some good power trio work here. We got we got three lads on the track, and they're all and they're all putting in, I think, some good effort here. Mm hmm. Yeah. I believe that. Yeah, he's an interesting character. He's a very like he's a very British like uh like musician where they're like kind of buttoned down and you're like, this is the guy who's, you know, hammering the drums while I was screaming about putting on the red light. But I saw some clips from him this week and he's like, Oh yeah, he's just, he's like taking Reddit questions and like showing people different drum beats and stuff. You're like, this dude's chill as hell. <laughs> I've that's definitely I've heard his name in conversations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's he's definitely one I always think of when I'm like tough drums. Uh it's got to be like Stuart Copeland, like he's got some stuff going on there. So yeah, cool guy. I like him too. Um I don't know much about Andy Summers besides the fact that he plays guitar. Yeah. But it's a pretty simple setup first. You get that that off reggae uh, guitar sting, and then the sort of drums and bass play pretty sparsely because the bass is doing this like boom, 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 boom. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I always feel like there should be like boom, boom, boom. 
like say like it needs a second pair or something but yeah it's yeah because it seems like copeland kind of like took head took lead on the rhythm for this one and so he was like the rhythm's like this you've got to be hitting your notes like here and here and so it was a real process of him like helping sting adapt to this different rhythm mm-hmm. oh yeah that's got to be tough um it is tough i've done that not professionally but <laughs> <laughs> attempted and yeah some some bassists will often do a simplified like live version a simplified bass track just so that they can better manage the two i think sting does that but i've seen the recorded version it's just the straight up thing and it is still pretty simple Yeah. That's it. And then the big thing, which you're going to hear a lot of, is the bum bum, the big, like, kind of dissolve fan out at the end of phrases. So that's where the guitar stops doing the really tight things and lets it ring out. The, the drums hit a fucking cymbal. They, you know, they do a tight drum roll. Mm hmm. Roxanne. Mm hmm. Yeah. Because they give you the space to really take in all of Sting's vocals on this. And like, he's got a good voice, so it like, comes off really nice. Yeah, you really get to hear like every individual component of this band and like the guitar doesn't really get like a show of skills, but the drums on this and and Sting's vocals, I think, really get their time in the limelight. Oh, for sure. It's just you don't get like a ripping guitar solo or some kind of like virtuoso shit. You do just get like solid playing. Mm hmm. Yeah, a little more active now, a little more life to him. Yeah. And they do always cut down and give Sting a little space to like continue singing without instruments or with just the fade out of the instruments. So you get get a bit of that drama on either end of the phrase. Roxanne! And then at the end, yeah. Mm-hmm. Walk the streets for money. Like, it's... <laughs> you'll hear a lot of uh, covers of this that are, like, Latin or, you know, like, non-English covers, and it's... I think there's something about his vocals that appeal to that. Yeah, like, he's doing just, like foreign like, <laughs> like oh, I'm not not quite white you're like alright this guy could play any role in a movie yeah that, that's sort of like yeah put him in a metal speedo <laughs> put him on an alien planet 
Uh, the guy. Uh, that's right. Yes, Kyle McLaughlin. Yeah. Little Dune reference. He does that, and then it's crazy to see him in Lord of the Rings with, you know, Elijah Wood just handling him. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. There is a build. The drums. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a little extra life from those drums. And then it's, yeah, to the, it's, we then do the kind of like fake you out on that fade at the end. Dun, 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 it's another one, just like last week's Mickey has like the dumbest and easiest possible pre-chorus to chorus shift you can have. It's like, dun, 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 dun. this is the other like dumbest version where it's like everything just plays a little faster now. Yeah. Yeah. The bass is just rolling on a boom no 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 Yeah. You get the backing vocals. Yeah. Roxanne. That's close enough. And then, but with that, you then get like the big sting parts that it, it, it's the contrast between them makes his much heavier performance here sound that much heavier. Put on the red light, Roxanne, put on the red light. Yeah. Yeah, if you want to, like, it's it's kind of punk, and this is the punkest you get in terms of composition, because it is very, like, just simple kind of rolling. It's all about just keeping that steady rhythm going. Mm-hmm. It's just, like, it's, and because I think it's done in things other than punk, but it's it's done to give the chorus a lot of energy. And I mean, this is if you go to any police concert or sting show, because he still does it solo. Actually, he doesn't really do the chorus when he's doing it solo from what I've listened to. Not the one we heard. Maybe on other ones he does. But I assume during police shows, this is when you get the audience fucking screaming with you. Because it's that kind of chorus. Very simple. Roxanne put on the red light. Roxanne put on the red light. Anyone can sing along. Yeah, <laughs> that's, I'm sure. Yeah, sometimes if, depending on how much you're, you know, how much of a Jacob Collier concert it is, at some point you are the band. Some For some reason you're doing all the parts and Jacob Collier is just kind of directing you. Yeah, a very long time. Oh. That's great. Good for him. 
<laughs> in 2020. Yeah, fucking A. Um, yeah, probably not going to listen to it unless there's a cover of another police song on it, I guess. We'll see. Uh, but at the end of this chorus, we get a... Oh! From Sting. And that brings us down. To It almost sounds like he enters verse 2 a little far from the mic or something, or like his levels are just rising. Like it rises up. He's a little mumbly. Yeah. Like he just realized, like it, it would almost be like he's looking at the bars on the recording studio and he's like starting off. He's like, oh, I'm too far from the mic. <laughs> Gordon. <laughs> Call me Sting. <laughs> I don't think I did. So it took a little detective work because I was like, who the fuck is this Gordon Sumner guy who's credited with both vocals and bass? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what did they have a guy just in the studio? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, he was he was just there for people to look at somebody pretty. Uh, verse two, pretty similar to verse one, though, right? No, I think no, I think, and given how early this is in the band's career, I I imagine it's just the same thing again. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, puts a little more like Roxanne. Yeah. Roxanne. Yeah, it's good. It's good. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of squawk, it's a bit of growl, it's a bit of, he's, he's animalistic. Yeah. And then chorus, chorus, chorus. <laughs> the drums do chant. Like the drums provide a lot of the extra life here when nothing else is doing anything. And I would I would say, especially in this outro, everyone's just playing a little harder. Like, it's just that pure punk of, like, here's a little more oomph in everything. Drum, the one I note is around, like, 250, where it's, it's yeah, he's just fucking, he just starts hammering it, and it, like, it kind of just colors everything else, where you're like, yeah. Oh, yeah, he moves to those times. Yeah, it's pretty sick. I like the drums on this. I think it, and it, what it does is even though like Sting's vocals aren't changing much at that point, having the drums change almost changes the emphasis of them. It makes them feel a little heavier or something. You're like, yeah, we're screaming still. And it's like, it's more desperate or something. It's good. Mm-hmm. He's already like, yeah, I don't know. They obviously, maybe they did because it's a fade out on this. So maybe Sting really cuts loose after the fade out. And they're like, we can't. Nobody can ever hear this. <laughs> Have you seen the documentary Grizzly Man? 
Oh, okay. There was a famous scene in it where uh, Werner Herzog, the director, he gets this audio clip of the the guy the documentary is about. He gets he gets killed by grizzly bears, and then he he like listens to it, and all we get to see is him listening to it, and then he like takes out his earphones. He's like, "You must never listen to this." <laughs> It does, nobody has heard it, I guess, potentially except, yeah, except Werner and whoever he got the tape from. So Grizzly Man is about this guy, Tim something, who would go and live amongst grizzly bears. He was kind of like a grizzly bear advocate, but he wasn't like, he wasn't like traditionally trained. He didn't have a, like a nature education or anything. He was just a guy who like liked grizzly bears. And so he would live amongst them and he's like, oh, bears are just super friendly. And eventually him and his wife... They're bears. They were bears, uh, and so him and his wife go on a on a uh, on a camping trip. They, I was some bears, and a bear unfortunately kills him. And but they had recording equipment on the site, so they had like some audio. So there was an audio recording of Tim being killed by this bear. It's like immensely grim, and so one of Tim's friends like gets their hands on it. And they're just like, I don't like, I don't want to listen to it. And then Werner Herzog's like, I'll. Li-. He's like, I'll listen to it, and he listens to it, and he's like, you must never listen to this. <laughs> yeah, I get like, yeah, be, it's, horrifically. Sound of two people I died because it was his wife too. So, Ugh. Uh, good documentary, but yeah. A fun joke in this moment. Now that I've had to explain it, it seems less fun. <laughs> there, there's two. I maybe found the second one. Citation needed. I have what is essentially studio footage of them playing... They're just like in a sound stage playing it. There's like some, and that's maybe that's it. Yeah, that's the thing is there's no red backdrop in this version. So I'm like the backdrop. This one has like the drums are on this like reverse pyramid stage. And like, there's a big, there's like a cartoon drawing of a car in the back. It's maybe it's weird, but it's, is it the music video or is it a music video? Yeah, it's a fan made one. I saw that as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, who are they making this for? <laughs> yeah, it certainly was, like, easy enough for them to film. It's mostly, like, concert footage and maybe some, like, soundstage footage. Yeah, and you're not going to get that... Yeah. So you get that combined with some like behind the scenes stuff of them like in a dressing room, getting their makeup did, uh, and eating maybe a kind of fruit there, it looks like.
Yeah, it's like freeze frames into what end? There's the one, let me see here, is it at the 35 mark? Yeah, where he jumps into the air in slow-mo. They freeze frame it. We we cut to Sting, and then we cut back, and then he drops back down. Uh, go to 35 seconds. Come back. He's down. It's like, yeah, it's like they're trying something. They're like, what if we make people believe that he's in the air for that long or something? <laughs> it looks like he's fucking flying, bro. And so it's, it does seem to be like bare minimum, like quote unquote experimental where they're like, I don't know. We'll try some different shots. Yeah, definitely. They also do just like some real smash cuts at times around like 42 seconds here. It'll be like sting drummer back to sting back to drummer back to sting. It's like four cuts in the, in the span of two seconds. It does feel like it's trying to sync with that. Almost does like the first two it does. Dun -dun. But then they want they want to show you hitting that last drum too bad. So it like fucks up the timing for the last switch. They're like, they want you want to see you hit that symbol. And so it's timing's just a bit off there. Yeah. Yeah. So you get to see sting jumping and again with the, like the choppy slow-mo. Yeah. 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 And it's interesting from like today's angle as like archival footage because you're like, okay, this is Sting in the Police circa 1978, 1979. That's kind of interesting, but like, it's not like mind-blowing <laughs> yeah it's a pretty basic music video but hey right on guys you made it you did okay and we're about to okay a conversation about covers beginning in the year 1979 with Inga Rumpf <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it immediately redirects you to Frumpy on Wikipedia. <laughs> Which case she gets her own page. Hamburg. Yeah. She's she's a hamburger. You're telling me a hamburger played this song? <laughs> Okay, I can see that a bit. In like the because first you get that kind of like synth that like, and then 
the is it that guitar tone is that a bit ashes to ashes yeah let me see no i think you're right i'm just uh Yeah, that boom, bang, boom, bang. Oh, yeah, listening to the bass on Ashes to Ashes now, which isn't, of course, as forward as the synth on Ashes to Ashes. But yeah, that boom, boom, ding. Yeah, the tone is definitely similar. Yeah, that boop, boop, yeah, David Bowie was in Germany at the time, so like, at least was in Germany just a few years prior, so. Yeah. 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 Yeah, really steely, really bendy. Mm hmm. Yeah, I'd say grit. You can hear that it's feminine at some points when she says light. Translation. Okay, yeah. But yeah, she's got that kind of rock and roll grit. Um, it sounds a little more, mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's an organ, um, like in production wise, it all sounds a bit more lo-fi, which gives it a bit of character, I think. Just in terms of like production quality, like even the recording of her voice sounds a bit like, yeah. Um, that said, I, I like, I like the, the kind of grit and edge on this. Uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I think she's got a great voice Um, they really highlighted in the chorus cause they kind of treat the chorus as uh, like a breakdown almost cause it's like just drums and her vocals. Hmm. Yeah, almost like you're just, you're hearing like a busted up tape or something. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. You get an organ fill, you get a little like drum roll of some kind. Oh, yeah, they kind of, like, double-time it or something. And they get the harmonies there, too, right? For the... I think so. Are you talking about, like, in the chorus? Yeah. <laughs> Those Hollywood nights! <laughs> by Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band. 
Yeah, they just kind of like pick it up and yeah, it does give it a different energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you could get away with that with this one for sure. People would be like, this is natural. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cha. Put on the red light. Put on the red. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's. That's what they tucked in a little disco there. They're testing the waters. Like you guys into this. Pretty cool. I noticed one uh, lyrical change at the. About 156. So maybe like 154, 155. She says, instead of it's a bad way, it's a harder way. A harder, I think, way. Which, yeah, that, yeah, that does. <laughs> exactly. So with, yeah, with this version, she's a little more concerned for Roxanne's safety. At least. She's like, listen, it's tougher out there. There's an easier way to get by. I can provide it. Is, that, is this a proposition to become Roxanne's pimp? It's like, listen, it's tough out there, sweetheart. You need, you need somebody to protect you. No, because he says you don't have to put on the red light, which implies no sex work at all. Um... Speaking of Fallout Boy, <laughs> yeah. Uh, to so people, there's like according to secondhand songs, like 145 versions of this, and like I would say probably 120 of those are some form of jazz or bossa nova. <laughs> Yes. Um, and why that, why that is, it's, it stings international vocals. <laughs> he, he was their nationality. Exactly. It's whatever I am, Sting is. I didn't think he was British, I'll tell you that. Um, and that's how he made his way into America, where in 2005, this song was covered by Fallout Boy. Yes. Roxanne Tango. That definitely would have. Mm-hmm. Right. Hey, listen, I know their cover of We Didn't Start the Fire. <laughs> That's all I need to know, baby. It's yeah, already a brilliant choice here to not try and rewrite the song. That's already a point in their favor. Yeah, I don't think they did. Yes. Shiny, dirty midriff. <laughs> Mm 
Yeah. Yeah, it's a little more like so they they pick up the pace on it first is like the big change. Dan 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 dan. You up the distortion element. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. Hmm. You still get this. Yeah. You still get the same kind of basic intro. They do that. Don't know. Don't know. But no, but no, like a two note on the bass, get the drums in there hitting a little harder. So harder and faster is like the philosophy of this version. Um, at the cost of like the more technical drums of the original, because we hit the verse and it's just uh, it's just chug on bass and guitar and then just some fast drums. Yeah. Yeah. No, it hugs pretty close. Oh, just after, like, the first chorus there? Is that what you're talking about? Oh, 208, so much further than that. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so you get, like, a, a sort of bridge. Or I guess it's a middle eight. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's no room for build. We start at the top, we go, and I think, especially 2005, you knocked this out at fucking Van's Warp Tour or whatever. Like, boom, you got three minutes there of a classic, played a little faster, that's going to get the people going. The hair will be shaking. The dirt is going to hit the shiny midriff. Like, it's... Damn. You're not at the... You're just hearing about it later from a guy. You know a guy who went to Van... Was it a recent Van... <laughs> okay, yeah. Okay. Okay. And you're like... Weird. I've never been punched in the face in a mosh pit. I have been inadvertently headbutted, but that's like... <laughs> I don't know. Who can say for sure? I just remember the first time I was just in a mosh pit or near a mosh pit, somebody grabbed my butt and I was like, hell yeah, I must be looking good. And my friend was like, they're just looking for your wallet. And I was like, ah, <laughs> <laughs> shit. So much for my confidence, but 
I can say confidently it's time to move from 2005 to 2005 to talk about Sophia Saidi, the French Moroccan singer and actress, um, doing a sort of what, like a orchestral version. It it turns into an orchestral version. It starts out with just like like piano. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's using, as I understand it, because I watched that video and Greta started singing along, it's using the Moulin Rouge soundtrack. Yes. And so was it more of a... Dan- like, could you do song or dance? Was it supposed to be singing and dancing? It seems very dance, especially especially that number. That's all I've seen of it, so... So we get something completely different from her her work on on Star Academy here. Cause yeah, boy, was I fucking confused. <laughs> I was like, wait a second, I listen to the right track. What the hell's going on here? Yeah. Yeah, very whispery vocals, um, sort of intricate piano. It's really moving a lot around a lot. Chords, some arpeggios in there. Yeah. Yeah. Was that that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's about at forty-five seconds in. You get that, and that those those string notes, those dun dun dun, um, sounds like like Ace Attorney meets Orchestra. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is like the video game Ace Attorney. It sound, but it specifically, it sounds like the the Gyakuten meets, meets orchestra, like courtroom suite. I, I have to listen to it today, and it's not on titles. So I had to go to fucking YouTube, and it's like, yeah, pretty close. But it is that like, dun, dun, dun. and then in this turning one, it goes, it goes like, and so yeah, it makes me think of Ace Attorney for the rest of the song, pretty much. <laughs> Yeah, we talked about Objection, 2001. That is fun. But, like, even, like, the tone on these strings kind of reminds me of the the orchestra arrangement from that Ace Attorney album. (gasps) Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They really play with like these moments of stillness, a bit of like, oh, here's just the strings, and they're just like they're coming to a stop. And then they'll like hammer on the like that's how they get into verse two, is like the piano then hammers in and it's like we're f- coming in hot for verse two. So it's very dynamic. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the same way, like, the drums in the original provide a lot of energy, she's just instead doing, like, the whole band is providing that energy counter to the, the vocals. Yeah, it's... Yeah, it hits this like tender. It's it does that run up like it's uh it's tucking us into bed is what it's doing. It's like okay, you had the big intensity. Let's bring it back down to the start. Bam. Maybe that's. Hmm. Yeah, that's what I was talking about. You're talking about a little earlier. Yeah. So you're talking more like 244 with this, uh, with the the keys. That was the section you were looking at. This. Yeah, it's got, and see, I'm caught up in it, but it has like some Ace Attorney drive to it. Like there's a little mystery. There's a little like getting closer to the truth. There's a little activity behind it. Yeah. This is the Ace Attorney version. I'm sorry. It's all I can I can really pull from it. I'll say this. Uh pretty good. I I thought it was pretty good overall. Like it. It's engaging and if I ever take Roxanne to court, this is what I'm playing. This is the version I'm going with. Um but let's talk about sort of an unusual artist here. Uh in 2010 we've got Sting. Gordon Sumner. Symphonicities. <laughs> Album synchronicities. Uh pretty good. Pretty good sting. Um listen, he says this. He told somebody once, I sing Roxanne every night. There's always a little inflection that is new or a possibility that opens it out. It's not my job to reproduce a record that was made 30 years ago. I use that and I respect that, but it's only a template. It's that jazz mentality. Use the head of the song just as a starting point. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, because I imagine somebody probably asked him, like, do you still like singing Roxanne every night? He's like, well, I don't really do the same thing every night. And it's like, well, that's true. No. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and he's he's removed the toughest singing part, that chorus. You don't get it until like kind of right at the end he does like a little version of it. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah, you get like a taste of the old, the, the, the young sting, the older sting. <sighs> young. And we really get the what seems to be a return to that. Uh, to me, it sounds like I'm not, but it sounds like a tango rhythm. We get these kind of hand drums in there around like 20. It sounds, and maybe it's just the tones of the instrument, but I'm like, yeah, somebody could tango to this. Yeah. 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 I'd believe that is Sting playing that. I watched... It's um, a classical guitar you play really high up, right? Like you hold it high up. Yeah, it's that's I've seen a video of him performing with an orchestra. I don't know if it was specifically this performance, but he's up there with the guitar. I'm like, okay, that's that's Sting's thing. Sting's thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. A second, a second of time. Mention the marimba. Tell me about that. It's very rich. It, it's uh, to to compare it to a version we talked about two weeks ago with a very similar name by a different band, Rosanna. Uh, by Toto, there was a version similar to this, an orchestra backing one of the singers from Toto. Uh, and yeah, kind of like same criticisms or same notes, rather. It's like it's much richer in sound, um, although there's a lot more changes to the composition with this version than with that version. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're like, we're doing. Yeah, he's like, yeah, this is Sting going and being like, my songs need this. We need a whole orchestra for Roxanne. Yeah, it works. We like move down and get some like violin soloing at like the 159 mark. Uh,. Yeah, it does kind of raise the question, besides the fact that it's Sting putting this together, like, why is it Roxanne? <laughs> yeah. And there is, like, a bit of, yeah, as Fred Gordon as man behind the scenes, because there is, like, I get some of the tenderness, a little of that, like, there's a little sexual energy in what I'm calling this tango rhythm on here, you know, a bit of dance to it. Um, yeah, does it? And he removes the big kind of the emotional core of the original is the the chorus, this screaming of put on the red light. And so it's it's just not there. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, maybe a bit more like tense or like understated with a large orchestra. Yeah, just a, just a question. I don't really have an answer to it. I do have an answer to the question, who's our next cover? And that answer is um, Massimo Scalici, Scalici, 2013. He's not Italian, though, right? He's Spanish. So, yeah, I don't know how they pronounce their, their CIs. He's a composer. He's a dude. High voice. Yeah, this definitely has the Moulin Rouge element to it. Oh, for sure, yeah. Chat, another version opening with strings here. Yeah, we we like very specifically get Spanish guitar in there, which uh, I think is also the strong point of this version. Yeah, because there's parts where it'll just like let that thing go off, where it's like band and a little dan da dan da dan da bam ba dan ba da dan 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 dan. Yeah, and that rips. I think that's very cool. Vocally, I'm not like like you said. He's a bit higher. I'm not crazy about his vocals. They're in that kind of like pop range, but that's fine. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dun, dun. Right. Let me see. Oh, yeah, I can hear that. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, I'd say that's a synth. We're in 2013. It's more likely a synth than not. He also uh, skips the chorus, doesn't he, on this one? Um, I'm not sure. I don't think it does because he does. He just does the pre-chorus. He goes pre-chorus and then it's boom straight into verse two where we then get this new rising pattern on the strings. This dun 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 dun. Bum, 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 bum. Yeah, chugging, screaming, like it's you. Yeah, you either need to cut it severely, cut it out entirely, or find a way to rework that into your, you know, Latin pop song or your orchestral arrangement, and that's maybe not doable. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. Or did they hear symphonicities with Sting? Yeah. 
Yeah. It's my mommy. He says some other. I like. I picked it up in the music video, and I forget what he said. But it's some pretty. You can pretty much from contest text work out what he's saying. But yeah, you get like some Spanish ad libbing. Um. Yeah, pretty good vibes on this cover. Noche says night. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. I can see that. There is. Uh, and it's like, it's almost like a stage play at first. <laughs> Alex, you're not on a three month trial for YouTube Premium. <laughs> come on, come on. <laughs> well, unfortunately, I'm on month three of my three month trial, so I'll see you in March. <laughs> Dang, dog. YouTube. Uh, so, yeah, we get this smoke that blows out at the start, and it, like, it's it kind of... Yeah. 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 It's very much meant to be, like, a seedy cabaret slash brothel. Um, There is a bit of West Side Story in here, a bit of Moulin Rouge, a bit of just, like just generic horny dancing. That's like the main rule. They're like, it's gotta be horny. It's like, Hey, mission accomplished guys. Yeah. Every, like all the women look like they're in a, yeah. Like they're in a burlesque performance wearing their corsets. Yeah. In terms of story, it's very, unclear there's a lot of like implication not a lot of like actual hard facts given is there actually a poll hmm hard to say for sure there's a lot of there's one dude who's always getting handsy with who who i believe is meant to be roxanne yeah Yeah. But dancing is also sex. Careful now. Watch out. Yeah, you get a shot of dice being thrown. I think that's the last mention of it. <laughs> it's just like, whoa, red dice. You're like, all right. It's a, it's a gambling den, too. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, him singing wearing his little... What, what kind of hat is that, Alex? Flat cap, yeah. And since everyone else is so uh, kind of fallout boy-esque, you know, greased up... And, and showing midriff creased up and dirty. It's like they cut to him and he just kind of looks like Lin-Manuel Miranda. And you're like, oh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's for sure a different look. And even just like lit differently. <laughs> Front lighting. He's got lighting. 
sometimes. Yeah. It's my problem with this music video, I think, is that like the whole lead up of the first like minute and a half, two minutes feels like it's supposed to be building up tension to something. But it's mostly just a lot of random scenarios. You got like one corset woman showing her leg to another corset woman, guys pretending to gamble, uh, guys passing each other money, um, some meaningful looks from one guy who I think goes on to get kind of rough with Roxanne, but there's no like consequence to that. Yeah. We're all Roxanne on this blessed day, is what it means. <laughs> hey, I forgot to mention, he, he sounds like he says to put you on your makeup. Yeah. Which, which I understand is because English is not his first language. But it is a little funny to be like, Roxanne, you don't have to do this. I know my mind's made up, so put on your sex worker makeup. It's like, well, hang on a second. <laughs> what thing are we doing? Roxanne. Oh, I think, hey, Alex, now I just discovered what kind of version this is because I looked at the YouTube title. It's a bachata version. And, and that's a, a genre of music that originated in the Dominican Republic in the 20th century. Contain, contains elements of European, mainly Spanish music, indigenous Taino, and African musical elements, representing the cultural diversity of the Dominican population. So that's what's going on here musically. Well, there you go. I should have looked at a title for a YouTube video, but... <laughs> yeah, I, know. I was like, okay, Roxanne Bachata. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it feels very Moulin Rouge, this video. It feels a bit just like, hey, let's hire some dancers have them dance in suggestive manners and just kind of imply that maybe there's a story there. Yeah, I think they're good dancers. That is a problem. But then, it's, yeah, it's kind of all over the place, but hits the general vibe of the song. Um, but that's that one, Alex. Here's a different one. Facundo Arana in 2014. Yeah. And musician. It's kind of like, he's like the doctor house of Argentina. <laughs> the, the, you know, Hugh Laurie. <laughs> he's won, let me tell you this, Alex, quite a few Martin Fierro awards which uh, are Argentinian, like, maybe either Grammys or Oscars or, like, Globals or, like, Junos, yeah. <laughs> so he's not, he's not just fucking around here. Oh, it's for acting, yeah. So Maybe. That makes sense to me. Um, here he's primarily a jazz crooner, a jazz growler, even. Yeah. Yeah.
Mm-hmm. It is like, it's almost like TV jazz, because we don't get a lot of the, like, overwrought solos or anything on this. You get just kind of the classical elements. It's like brushed drums, some piano chords with a tone that sounds jazz, a walking bass line, and, yeah, noodling guitar. So gravelly. I think that is my favorite feature of this, is how gravelly his voice is. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, it. F yeah, it feels really gritty. It feels like he is bemoaning a Roxanne who's walked away. It's it's good. Yeah, it brings the act. It's. Yeah, he's created a character through his vocals and the instrumentation, and that's something. And it's backed up by a saxophone solo, which who am I to say no to that? Yeah. Because you're a fool. It's around like 140, 145 maybe. Yeah, I've had that. Yeah. Yeah, straightforward lounge. And then his big, like, addition in this very, like, classic lounge jazz thing is around 340-ish, maybe a little before that when he starts this, baby, don't put it on. Yeah. That is, yeah. Yeah, and they kind of just like fade out from there after he says it a couple times. It's, yeah, it's a pretty, like, hearing it, you're like, oh yeah, this is classic this, like, this lounge genre. So if you like that, you're going to like this. And I think his vocals are pretty good for it. Well, I'm sure you'll agree then that this next cover is our last cover. Uh, Cuneo in 2015. Back alley soul. That's a good a good title for an album that has Roxanne on it. A little back alley in there. Um, his big claim to fame, according to him, is that someone once called him the spawn of Freddie Mercury and Janis Joplin. Yeah, maybe he just looks like Janis Joplin. Like a bald Janis Joplin. <laughs> <laughs> It's, yeah, it's a strange thing, but I get it all the time. It's, yeah. It, it is precisely funk, and this guy is a regular collaborator with Scott Bradley 
and his postmodern jukebox, which I place in the same sort of ilk as uh, your scary pockets and your pomplamoose and shit like that. And that is the style of funk we're getting here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's just him. Yeah, he definitely hits like a pretty high range. And he's got a bit of that funk, like, kind of like, you know, a little, little extra sass in there, a little pizzazz, whatever you want to call it. We call that soul. Is that is that what is that is that what Billy Joel was talking about? <laughs> um, yeah, he's got a bit of that going. My, I think my problem with this version, I think the funk elements work for the most part. I think we just need to stop doing this kind of like minimalist funk and start doing some maximalist funk when we get to that chorus. Yeah. Yeah, more horns or like just like hitting things harder. Like funk can go so much harder than this. And I think, yeah. And just like he's one of the ones who actually does include the chorus. And I think, you know, take on that chorus with some energy rather than just being just kind of like being like, we're going to be smooth in the chorus. It's like, okay, that's fine. But like, let's be big. Yeah. Yeah, I just hate this kind of bullshit funk, man. I'm just in listen listen if you like that funk, it's bullshit. I'm sorry, bro. No. <laughs> it's it's never done it for me and I don't think it brings uh the best out of this song in particular, Roxanne. I'm sure there's times when you want funk to be cold as ice the whole time through. I don't think this is the time for it. That's what I'm suggesting. But you you love this chorus. You're you're a big Cuneo believer. Okay. Yeah, I I would say, like I'm I think the verses are good. I like the funk guitar there. I like some like the drums and elements there and even his vocals like it's working there. I just think we need to hit that chorus better. Listen, Sophia takes us. She transports us to the courtrooms of Japanifornia. <laughs> Yeah, I was like brass. I don't know what kind. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't crazy about the solo. Because it feels... Yeah, it's not very groovy. And it feels detached, again, from like whatever their concept of Roxanne is. It all feels a little detached, a little like it's not hitting anything. But me, I come down hard on funk. You know, I'm a, I'm a harsh man. <laughs> That's you. You are a functionado. I guess you could say I'm more a form over function. <laughs> yeah, it just drags too much in the chorus. That's all I have to say about this one now. Anything else, Alex? <laughs> 
Decent, uh, little did it. Fair enough, Alex. Let's see. It's time for us to transcend. How's that for a segment? It's a you know, it's a good segment when I have to change halfway through. <laughs> I'm like, uh, what about this? Uh, our final verdicts. We got three categories today: the worst version, the best version, and the most convincing version. Who is going to get through to Roxanne with their plea? That's our three categories today, Alex. Let's start with the worst version. What is it? Fair. Yeah, I think there's a pretty, like, good standard here established. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, Fall Out Boy is perfectly fine. And I think listening to myself and which ones I complain the most about, the, ob the obvious answer is Cuneo. And, like, I don't, I don't even think it's, like, it is the worst out of these. I'm giving it that, but I don't think it's a, a crime against humanity or whatever. I, mean, it's just, I just don't think it's that good. I think it could use a second take. Alex, what's the best version of this? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think for liking all the elements, and I, the first time I put on this playlist, the Inga Rump version went, and I was like, I guess we can just call it there, because like, that kind of ripped. It was, <laughs> I was really, I liked her vocals. Um, I like the elements in it. I like the lo-fi kind of recording style, which is maybe just coincidence, but it, it gives it a little extra grit, a little bit of a unique identity. Yeah, I like that one a lot. I think Inga Rump has got it, Alex. But who's going to convince Roxanne to get off the streets? Who's going to do it? Oh, yeah. No. Right. This is a man who's come back at it and, you know, uh, 40 years down the line. Roxanne is still working the streets. Probably easier to convince her at that point, too. She's like, I was honestly going to. <laughs> you got me. Um, I'm going to go for more of like a Pied Piper approach. I think Massimo can, just through the power of that guitar, lure her away from the streets. Kind of just like get her dancing and then like keep taking the guitar just a little further away, a little further away from the streets. Boom. Next thing you know, she's just out in the suburbs. She's got a picket fence. She's done. And that's how they're going to do it, folks. <laughs> that does it for our final verdicts. If you got a similar opinion, different opinion, want to talk to us about a version we didn't talk about, hit us, hit, hit us, hit us. Just find us and hit us on the app formerly known as Twitter. Uh, hashtag cover me pod at Jake the Cressy. Yeah, some Alex Wise guys send us your comments, questions, concerns, suggestions for future episodes. You can also email those to us at cover me pod at gmail.com. Talk to us there. Uh, be sure to rate and review us. We're on Spotify, Stitcher. We're not on Spotify. We are, but I don't like to talk about them first. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on YouTube Music. We're on Amazon Podcasts. Your favorite podcasting app. We're on Podjurama. We're on Podbean. We're on Pocket Casts. We're on all the dang apps. Check us out there. 
Uh, tell you, tell everyone you know, man. Tell all your friends, f- family, neighbors, loved ones. What you can do for us this week is kind of just, uh, I guess, yeah. What you can do is actually, so a lot of people, you know, sex workers these days work in all varieties of contexts. What you can do this week is kind of get in contact with sex workers in your life and just send through the episodes to them. Like, you know, if you're watching their, their, their live cams or whatever you're doing, listen, I don't know what all the hip kids are doing these days to, to engage with sex workers, but just, just slip the podcast into the old communications and yeah, get us into that sphere of the world. Cause I, I don't think pro sex work summer got us there, but Hey, maybe this will, <laughs> that's what you can do for us. <laughs> listen it was tasteful and it's still tasteful now uh that does it for today's episode of cover me and as we always say on cover me cover me you don't have to put on the podcast